Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator Series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. Listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschoolprobe.com and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pre-PT Grind, where we help you become the best Pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brianna Drapp, and I'm your host for today's faculty highlight interview. I'm very excited to be on here today because we have the assistant professor, Dr. Jamie Kettle, and department chair, Dr. Lori Bordenave of A.T. Still University joining us to answer a few questions regarding their program. Thank you, Dr. Bordenave and Dr. Kettle for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course, I'm really excited to learn about your school because I personally don't know too much about it besides hearing Dr. Bordenave's um, podcast that she did with um, Dr. Jimmy McKay over on the PT Pinecast. So if you're also interested in learning a little bit more about the program that I might not cover over here, please check that out. It's um, on the NPT StudyCast podcast with Jimmy McKay. So with that being said, in five minutes or less, Dr. Bort, oh no, actually both of you, tell me what led you to the profession. Okay, so um, 
my story is actually very nerdy. And so I'm just going to put that out there. My story is that when I was in fifth grade, which for me was a very long time ago, um, I read a book about a young girl with uh, cerebral palsy. The book was called Karen by Maria Kalea. I still remember it. I actually still have a copy. Um, and in the book, they talked about physical therapy. And after reading the book, I thought that's what I want to do. And um, so pretty much from the time I was in fifth grade, that was what I was going to do. There was maybe a couple little times when I changed my mind. Um, probably the biggest change was that I actually did a pediatric rotation because that was where I thought I wanted to go. And I really didn't like pediatrics at all. And so I switched from pediatrics to really where I ended up to treating geriatrics. So from one end of the spectrum to the other. And, um, but other than that, I pretty much stayed the course and went from fifth grade to where I am now. And I still, Dr. Kettle can tell you, I still am like so passionate about PT. I love being a PT. So that's my story, nerdy as it is. Um, I think my route is probably more traditionally what you find on, on a admissions application. And I think it transformed over time and through my experiences to lead me to where I am. So not even knowing what all physical therapy encompassed over time and then learning about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go this way and then that way. But traditionally I was in sports in high school and wanted to pursue that as a career going into college. So I think I started with the sports med route and then learned about physical therapy and then had personal experiences with a family member of mine receiving physical therapy. And so firsthand experiences and kind of that involvement and in wanting to help people recover, it was natural that I went into uh, school for physical therapy. But then once in the program, I learned about all the different things you could you could potentially specialize in and do. And I think that's where I fell in love with neuro and, and geriatrics also. And so that led me to that and then policy and leadership and teaching, and it just keeps evolving. So all these different areas that I didn't know I was going to fall in love with, but I think I have more of a traditional story that a lot of people can probably uh, relate to. I'm excited you're a neuro person, Dr. Kettle. That's something that I want to look into later, just because I think it's really fun because I feel like with neurological conditions, it's such a gray area you're playing with because you're like, I'm not sure what's going to go on. I don't know how this is going to present. And it's really just you're adapting and improvising every treatment session, especially with our patients with maybe MS or Parkinson's. So I'm excited to hear your two cents on a lot of things that you might have to talk about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Dr. Bordenave is a neuro nerd also. So. Oh, great. Awesome. Jamie is actually dual credentialed. She has an NCS and a GCS. So she's look at that. I'm sure a lot of people in your um, department have a lot of different, like a diverse background of what they're board certified in and whatnot. We, we do. We actually have a really nice diversity of folks on our faculty. We have um, quite, quite a few folks that have a neuroclinical specialization and quite a few folks that have an orthoclinical specialization. Um, but then we have someone who, uh, they don't have their clinical specialization yet, but they're working on it um, in cardiopulmonary. 
And then we have uh, two of our faculty who practice in the area of women's health, one who's a women's health uh, clinical specialist in that area. And um, everything from acute care to, um, like Jamie was saying, she's primarily in outpatient neuro to um, working with transplant patients to, you know, pelvic floor and pediatrics. So I forgot about our Pete's folks. We have a couple of Pete's folks too. So yeah, I forgot about them. Well, that's a wealth of knowledge for all of your students to pull from while they're going through school, isn't that? We, we think so. Yeah, we do. I agree. All right. So going on to the parts of the application that everybody wants to hear about. So students put extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all around applicant. Since every school values different parts of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value most or that catches your attention when seen on an application? Jenny, I'm going to let you answer that. Okay. And I think um, this is unique in that Dr. Bordenay previously was in the role that I was in. So she can probably give you a very similar story or uh, expand on this, but we offer holistic admissions where we don't just look at the academics. And I think as a university and a program, we really pride ourselves on taking the time to look at the other aspects of our applicants that would make them a well-rounded applicant and a good PT more importantly. So, um, as a whole side note that relates to this, Dr. Bordenave and I are currently doing a research study that has to do with leadership and admission qualities. So we're totally looking at characteristics and attributes and things that, that make someone a good PT for the future. So that's, you know, we look at a lot of things. So we have a whole portion of our application that is not just academics. And um, to cover some of the topics, we're looking at someone's cultural competency and their experiences in their life with people with disabilities or impairments and their um, commitment to community and extracurricular activities and the things that demonstrate to us that they're well-rounded, they can handle the aspects of a job while also demonstrating all the core values that is important for a physical therapist to have. So um, I think that's what kind of helps us stand out as, as a, a university and a department. Um, so it's not just one thing, but it is really exciting to read some of these applications. And I go back and I look at um, the person and I'm like, wow, they must be a little bit older to be able to accomplish all of these things. And some of them are like 22, 23. And I'm like, wow, these students are goal getters these days and all the things they've been able to do. Um, it's really impressive. Uh, I don't think I was that good when I was coming out of school, but um, I, I think it's a lot. It's, we're looking for a well-rounded student, you know, everyone comes from different walks of life. And then we have a whole second group of students where it's their second career and they're coming back to us. So, um, I don't know if you have anything to add, Dr. Bordenave. Yeah, I, 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 the only thing I would, well, a couple things I would say, you know, we've been doing holistic admissions. Um, that was, that's the only way we've ever done admissions. Um, which I think, you know, it's, that's really common to hear people say they use a holistic approach now. And we've been doing it that way since the beginning. We've been very um, uh, thoughtful in establishing our academic criteria to what those minimums are 
so that we're sure that students have the academic chops to be able to be successful. I mean, you still want to bring somebody into the program only to have them fail out because they can't meet those academic requirements. So we've really worked at honing exactly where those cutoffs are to make sure that we're um, um, concise in, 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 in recruiting the right students who have the academic capacity to be successful. Um, and then, you know, uh, Jamie mentioned, or Dr. Kell mentioned some of the things that we're looking at. And one of the things that I think is really important is for students to, on that application, to kind of tell their story, right? So sometimes I think students forget to put things because they think, oh, that's not important, or that's not related to physical therapy. So for example, working as a server in a restaurant, that is a job I have never had, and I will never have, and I would probably be terrible at it if I did have it. I'm always really impressed with that. And, you know, I've had applicants say, well, I didn't put that on there because that's not related to PT. And I'm like, are you kidding? Talking with other people, handling problems, multitasking, all of those things related to that job are related to being a physical therapist. I want to know that. Plus, I think that, you know, sometimes students are like, well, I haven't done a lot of volunteering, but they've worked full time all through their undergraduate program. Make sure that story is clear in your application so that we can see that and weigh those factors in our assessment of your application. I just think sometimes applicants think they're missing something because they don't have you know, all of these precise parts. And we're really looking at the whole of the applicants. So yeah, some of our applicants worked full-time when they were in school and couldn't do a lot of volunteer stuff. And, but it probably, if they did a few volunteer things, it weighs out to them still being a qualified applicant. Um, and so I think that it's really important for the application to tell the student's story about what they're bringing to the program beyond just being a qualified qualified academically. I agree. And I've, I've actually mentioned to some people about how anytime you feel like you're working a customer service job, highlight that like crazy because our job is what 90% relationships, relationships with other people, other coworkers, other patients, and just making sure that you, if you have that human communication down, that is super important. And especially a server's job. Like, I mean, I have problems remembering like the next two exercises I want to do with a patient. If you're a server, you got that down like T. Yeah, and just being committed to something too over time, I think has so much value. And sometimes there's, you know, students are like, well, I worked in the nursery in my church and I did that for like three years. Anybody who worked in a nursery for three years or anybody who did anything for that long of a period of time, a volunteer thing, that's worthy of being recognized. And we do value those things in our assessment of applicants. Sorry, Jamie. No, I just wanted to highlight the other thing from the applicant's perspective that makes our program a little bit different is we're on a rollings admissions uh, basis. And so um, instead of ranking our applicants and in the end getting one homogenous group that all looks exactly the same in terms of their on paper, um, I, I appreciate it because I think it allows us to accept, accept some people who otherwise wouldn't 
um, have made the cut if, you know, there was a ranking basis to that. And so if someone meets our criteria and we interview them and all the screening goes as planned and they get accepted, their seat is theirs as long as, you know, the offer and everything. But it, it leads to a more diverse class in terms of all factors considered. And so we've always um, prided ourselves on that as well. So our class looks a little bit different and we appreciate that, especially with everything that's, you know, coming up in the profession right now. And I am vigorously nodding in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all are. And every time you say something that I'm just like, yes, do that. Because I always make sure to ask, like, are you guys on rolling admissions? When's your deadline? Like students, go on, get Those it are in. Things to know. Yeah, yeah. So, so when is your deadline? So because we're rolling, well, Jamie, actually, you should probably talk about that because you're more in it right now. Yeah. So PTCast the last year, they actually opened their, their portal earlier. So you can start putting in your, your stuff like mid June now, I think it is. And then it goes live July 1st. And that's when things can start getting sent to us and we can start reviewing. So for rolling, the sooner you get it in the better for us. So we've been going now for a couple months already and reviewing. And then, um, you know, there's different deadlines throughout the year in terms of, um, if you're coming from certain programs and then, you know, paying fees and stuff, but that's not even until the springtime. And I don't even know if I could tell you them off the top of my head, but um, because we're rolling, you know, our class could fill up pretty quickly. And then you would just be informed that you're interviewing for a seat on the wait list. But yeah, so generally by the end of the calendar year, we've filled up a good portion of our class, sometimes the whole class, sometimes maybe two thirds or more. So you want to have your application in early for us. Early and complete with all of those fields that Dr. Kettle is talking about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so going on to the next question that I have for a student who visits the campus, there's a good chance they will only see so much of the campus or program. What are some things that are unique about your program that a student would not typically see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? This could include interprofessional opportunities, research, or a form of teaching such as PPL. Well, you know, all of our students participate in a research project collaboratively with the faculty. Um, and so you probably, someone coming through didn't see any of that. And those projects range from, you know, some faculty do qualitative interviews, some faculty are doing data collection with subjects and patients. And so you probably wouldn't have a chance to see that and wouldn't see the um, interprofessional research lab either that's not generally on part as part of our tour and we have some cool gadgets in that room you know a motion capture kind of stuff um a balance master i don't know there's probably other things in there i'm forgetting but um so there's some great things um that happen around research that typically students don't have a chance to see and then we have um you know we're a small university so we're only all of our students on our campus are graduate health profession students. And so I think when you come to campus, you get that sense that this is a place where, you know, serious students are, 
you know, you don't have undergraduate students who are maybe doing other goofy things. And, you know, it's all graduate health profession students. Now, graduate health profession students do like to have fun. So I don't want to make us sound like we're all, all a bunch of serious, never do anything fun. But, you know, the, the, the tenor of the institution just feels like, okay, these are students who are studying really hard and working hard and, and focused on a very specific area. Um, so I think that you get that sense on campus. I think you don't always get the sense of how much interprofessional dialogue happens just naturally from all of those students being in one space. Now there are IPE things that happen as well, and I'm going to shut up and, and let Jamie talk a little bit, but there are other IP things too. Um, and so um, I think those are that are more structured and those are great as well. Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, I think, um, well, in reality, one of the things that, that we do is when students do come to campus for a tour and an interview, we actually do have a student ambassador sit with them. And so they do get a student perspective and they love that because mm -hmm. Sometimes I plug my ears and I walk out of the room and they're like, tell us what it's really like to be a student here. But this, I love hearing the student stories and they always say such amazing things that like makes me beam with pride and joy to hear those things. Um, but so they do get a firsthand student perspective. And some of the things that I guess you can't quote see um, the IPE opportunities, I'm currently in the process of setting up one right now with uh, phys our physician's assistant program in our sim lab. So we're trying to set up a practical right before the students go out on their third year clinicals where they would actually have to treat one of our patients in the sim lab, but using another team member to evaluate and to treat the, the person. And so we're working on that. There's lots of stuff in our human development lab. People collaborate um, among the disciplines. And then one of our main ways that we collaborate is in our pro bono clinic. So that's one thing that you don't see. Um, we have a OTPT pro bono clinic and we're hoping to expand that to speech as well when they get on board here shortly. Um, and that's, active every evening in, in one of the areas of the building. And so it's kind of neat because it's a teaching model where we have this, the faculty there as a mentor to both students and then the second year as a mentor to the first years. And so everybody's learning from everybody and it kind of makes uh, that lifelong learning thing acceptable. And also, you know, you're always being mentored by somebody. But um, I agree with the other things that Dr. Bournave said, the research. Uh, we have a lot of faculty um, mingling or I guess uh, using different forms of teaching right now because we had to go through a year of COVID. So there's lots of hybrid models and flipped classrooms and things like that. So for those students who really enjoy that sort of thing, there's a lot of that still incorporated, but we are happy to be back on campus full time. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and tons of community service opportunities. Um, you know, both are, uh, we have an integrated clinical experience that's out in the community where the students deliver a falls prevention program collaboratively with either an OT or an audiology colleague. Um, and we have um, some outreach with uh, um, Title I schools um, that our, our students get to be involved in. 
And so there's lots and lots of, um, we have a special relationship with Special Olympics. Our students get to be engaged with that and also with students from other programs in the region. And so there's lots and lots of opportunities for students to be out in the community doing community service. Yeah, um, I just returned from I just returned from DC for uh, the House of Delegates and Federal Advocacy Forum with four of our students. So I got to take them on that journey. They were only the four only students to come from any of the schools in Arizona. So it was nice to represent that as we lobbied on Capitol Hill, <laughs> and they learned the ropes. <laughs> you weren't too far away from me then. <laughs> no. that's right. Welcome to the East Coast. It's yeah. crazy over here. <laughs> Don't avoid. Now you've known the journeys of going around I-95. <laughs> Scary. The Capitol Beltway, that's that's built different. Yeah, I would get lost if I lived there. That's for sure. I get lost and I like I lived in Virginia for like I was I lived there for like eight years growing <laughs> up. And I don't know where anything is. It's bad. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's great. And especially when you talked about how you bring students in for your like orientations and open houses and stuff that as, as a prospective student myself, when a school does that, it's amazing to be able to see like how the students talk about their professors, because as a student, I want to see like, how are my professors going to be mentoring me? How are they going to be there for me as I'm like going through this very hard time of grad school and just seeing the students talk so highly of their professors uh, it's it, it really sells somebody who's potentially interested in the school so I'm glad you guys are doing that yeah we have lots of opportunities where our current students are with our applicants or interested um, uh, people without anybody else with them so I always say that to me is kind of a true test because you know, obviously we feel like they're going to say good things. Maybe they don't, I don't know, but it seems to be working out okay so far. So, And we also set up pairing a mentor and a mentee. So each new cohort that comes in gets a mentor from the class above. So that's a selection process and we try to pair it so that it's beneficial and helpful. And it usually tends to be. Yeah. I love that. That's those are all great things, and I hope pers I hope prospective students can see the value in that. And as, yeah, so you guys, so the next question kind of talked about some of the things that we already covered for students accepting the program for the next three years. What kind of resources do you provide them to put them in a position to succeed? I know you talked about that you have the student mentors for each other, and do you have any sort of like tutoring and other faculty mentors as well? We do. So they do get paired with a. a student from the year above and then I think it's important when they get to transition to do that for the the class below so that brings all the cohorts together and at least gives them some people to uh, teach and collaborate with and care for um, we have pals tutoring so you can also sign up to do that and that can be for any topic um, and those students are available if you need them um, in certain areas at certain times, you just go and kind of walk up and they can assist you with courses. Um, all the faculty have an open door policy and I could say that that truly is the case. So when we're on campus, our doors are wide open and there's frequently students walking down the halls and laughter and they come visit and 
grab some candy from our candy bowls and pop in the office and we chat and they ask questions and um, we try to make it ourselves accessible to them. So I have a, you can book me on my email tab so they can even access my calendar and make an appointment whenever they want without having to even, you know, confirm with me. Uh, sometimes I've had to reschedule Saturday morning meetings, but <laughs> otherwise we're available. Um, you have to set the parameters better. <laughs> yeah. And then the university provides so many resources on campus. So we have IT specialists, we have a learning and disability resource center, we have uh, student services, we have a mental health professional. Um, what else am I forgetting? Librarian. What else, Dr. Bordenabe? Yeah, I mean, I think you've, I think you've hit on the big ones. Yeah. Um, just, you know, there's, there's a ton of resources and, and the, the faculty are all really aware of what the resources are. And so, you know, even in somewhat maybe emergent situations where a student's just really needs assistance pretty quickly, um, the faculty all are aware of what those resources are and how to get to them and bring in those other professionals. So we've um, we've been able to be pretty successful at, at utilizing the university resources. I know, uh, I think mental health resources are becoming much more common in universities. And um, it's something that we've had for a while, but you know, I know that we're expanding those resources as well, just because it's, well, it's been a rough year. <laughs> Oh, and we have a, uh, a DEI program now as well, so. That's right. So the, the DEI program, the, our Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion actually has several scholarships that they offer. And so um, students who have self-identified as part of their application as being part of one of the um, federal underrepresented groups um, will receive an email from the DEI office talking and letting them know about the scholarships and how to apply and those kind of things. And I think pretty much since they started those scholarships every year, we have at least one, if not two PT students um, who have gotten that scholarship. So they must be pretty competitive. Well, those are all great opportunities that students can access, especially since you guys are talking about the mental health becoming big on campuses. I know a lot of students who are in grad schools in general, I have a lot of friends who are in various different grad school denominations or divisions. They all heavily advocate that students make sure they have good access to mental health before going into a program or making sure that their program has that. So I appreciate that you guys are making sure to highlight that in this podcast because that's very yeah, important. Grad schools. Grad school is hard and life right now is kind of hard and complex. And, you know, I think those two things combined that, um, you know, we've really just seen an increasing need for it. And, you know, I think one of the things that makes me really proud of our faculty is um, that we really, you know, we don't like to talk about mental health and physical health. Those are health issues. And, you know, we want our students to be healthy across all that broad spectrum. I mean, it's really part of who we are as a uh, historically osteopathic institution is that idea of that integration of body, mind, and spirit. And, um, you know, so physical health, mental health, spiritual health, all of those things are connected and, and we think really important 
um, for our students. So we try to make sure there are resources for all of those things. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so my next question I think that I have. Oh yeah, so we went over all the resources that you guys have for students. So when it comes to the actual application, for a student who applies to your program, what can they expect on the timeline of a decision? And if your program conducts interviews or preview days, which you guys said you kind of do both, what can a student expect during the course of the day? Um, are you asking specifically for an interview day? What could they expect? Kind of like your whole process. Like you guys have the rolling admissions. You said you'll send out interview invites and students will receive that kind of like when would students receive that and then after they have their interview day like how long do you guys do for a turnaround and you know those generic questions when students are like so like when will I hear they just want to know they want to know <laughs> um we know that this time of the year is very important, especially for us being on rolling admissions. So from the moment the application gets to our admissions department uh, from the university, they're doing checks to make sure that the student even basic, meets the basic uh, GPA requirements and GRE before it even gets sent to the department. And then it gets screened and you know things are put in. And then it comes to the admissions committee and we do another, another check of it. Um, where we look at a lot of those things that I talked about earlier in the podcast. And then we try to get the person scheduled for an interview as soon as possible. So, because we understand, especially with the nature of PT cast now that we're not the only school that students are applying to, you know, so we try to be uh, efficient with that turnaround time for them. So every day I look in there and try to keep on top of doing some of the screening and and we get those scheduled. Our staff who assists with this is very um, efficient with that as well. And then um, right now with the model, the interviews could be in person or via Zoom. And so we're also accommodating students who can't potentially get here or for uh, safety reasons would prefer not to. And then, um, so typically if you're able to come to campus, we do like to provide you a tour and then we'd have the interview. And then we do that uh, a Q&A time where they meet with the student ambassador and a faculty member, which is usually myself or one of the other members of the admissions committee. And that's more of an informal time for the student or the applicant to ask us questions, which is, you know, they have all these questions about finances and what's the campus really like what's a typical day and schedule and all those sorts of things and it's a nice time for them to meet us face to face and then um, if everything goes as planned and there's no red flags then usually they can hear from us within um, a week two weeks time of whether they have an offer into the program so it's pretty quick like I said we're not we're not waiting and hanging on to it and <laughs> making them fidget in their seats. So I think I got it all. Anything to add, Dr. Bordenave? No, I think Jamie did a great job. I'll awesome. just be quiet. <laughs> awesome. Well, as long as the question is answered in full, I'm okay with that. And as a prospective student, I would accept that answer. <laughs> Alrighty, so whatever interview, preview Ds. So for many students, they're going right from their undergraduate degree to their graduate degree, while others may have been non-traditional students. No matter what the case is, everyone must experience first stage jitters. 
What can a student expect on their first day or week of classes in your program? It goes fast. Um, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest message is that we have uh, usually a day and a half of orientation. Um, and during the orientation, they get to meet the faculty. They, we, re, we review the student manual, kind of talk about what to expect. But once classes start, things go really fast. I mean, we're delivering content quickly. It's not, you know, I, I have older kids and, you know, an undergrad, I even remember my undergrad, you know, you'd go to class the first week and they'd go through the syllabus and then they'd send you home. And it certainly is not like that in graduate school. You know, you show up on day one, they review the syllabus and then they're, you know, working through content. And um, you might've even had readings that you were meant to do before you showed up in class. So things move pretty quickly. Um, in that first week. I think the, there's a couple of key things that I think are important. First of all, students, when they come, when they're getting ready to come to PT school and start school, they should take that time to actually relax, like read a good novel or take a vacation with your family, or I don't know, do something that's enjoyable and relaxing. You don't need to study before you come to PT school. Come to PT school, relax, so you're ready to hit that ground running. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing is to, and we tell our students when they show up on the first day, that the competition is over. You're not trying to get into PT school anymore. You are in PT school. And so... Now it's time to look at everybody else in this room as your colleague and how can you collaborate? How can you create a place where you're working together to all be successful? Because, you know, it, it's just the competition in the undergrad and especially as you're getting stuff ready to apply for PT school, it's just competition. I got to get a better grade than the guy that's sitting next to me or I'm doing the guy that's sitting next to me work because I want to get a particular grade. And it, you have to, that mindset has to shift once you get into PT school. Um, people are your colleagues. They're going to be your colleagues going forward, including the faculty. And so how do you create a place where you're working together collaboratively with that group? What else do you have to add, Dr. Kettle? I don't know. I think that's a good summary of it. Um, I get to meet all the students in the orientation and then I get to be the lucky one to go through all the policies in the student manual with them. I'm their mom away from home. But um, I actually don't get to teach the students in our particular program until their, their second year again. So, um, but my role includes kind of keep monitoring all of them academically. So um, I think that you covered it. You know, some of our students have said that it's kind of like drinking water from a fire hose. <laughs> when you get started, but I'd like to say that we have a lot of checks in place to make sure that our students are succeeding and, and progressing along the way. First no. generals are actually kind of good, aren't they? I mean, they mean that you're excited about what you're about to do. They mean that you're kind of ready to jump into it. So in some ways, first day jitters, I, we, we joke, what do you like better, first day of school or last day of school? And I love the first day of school because I just think there's so much possibility that exists there. So 
There's that nerdy part coming out again. I'd say graduation's better, but we continue to go back to that, don't we? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, no, my friend said I was like two things to add. My friend, she started PT school at Temple over the summer, so back in June. And she was like the first day, I was like, How'd it go? She's like, it was great. And then by day three, she's like, I am overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like are you good she's just like it's day three and I'm already behind on schoolwork and I was like you'll be fine she has like all these she's fine but I heard the same thing from and, so many and other I people think, yeah and and I think the important thing to remember is when you hit day three everybody feels that way like you're not alone everybody who's sitting in the room with you feels exactly the same way and and so say it out loud, be the first person to be brave enough to go, holy cow, this is like, my head is exploding. And everybody else will go, yeah, I know what you mean. And next thing you know, you have this whole group of folks who are going to support you and, you know, be part of your getting through it. I agree with that. And then also I've heard a lot of students will be posting on forums, especially over the summer. They were like, what should I study before I get to school? Like, should I look over like anatomy again? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to be sitting there staring at the brachial plexus for three hours in like two months. Just like go to like Florida or something, like go to the beach, like enjoy yourself. Like you'll have plenty of time to be stressed. Like, and you guys like break it down. You're like, this is what we need to know. This is what it is. Let's go over it. Let's go through it. Like you don't need to get ahead or anything like that I remember learning anatomy and I was like I'm like writing like the origin insertion action innervation just writing it out on a whiteboard I'm just like this is a lot <laughs> and that was just PTA school so I know it's like you got to know like arteries and stuff for PT school so it was just a lot so take your time and enjoy the summer before you start school yeah, so this is the question that a lot of our students at Pre-PT Grind want to know. There's a lot of students who have a rough start to their journeys and might have lower grades and find themselves in a situation or find themselves in a situation where they decide to lock in later on in their journey. At Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help push and guide students to take the correct course of action to ultimately allow them to get into PT school. For a student with a lower GPA who wants to get into PT school, what would do you recommend? I think uh, one of the first things, if it's related to their GPA, obviously, I would say take a look at some of those courses where your grades were the lowest and see if it's a possibility to retake those, especially if they're science prerequisites. Um, and then I would also advise that student to maybe set up a meeting with someone on the admissions committee. And a lot of applicants don't take advantage of that. And I don't know why, because for the students I have mentored through that process, they've just asked, hey, here's another time point in the year. Can you take a look at my resume now and give me any pointers? And then four months down the road, they asked me to take a look at it again. And, you know, I'm, we're available to do that and say, or even if they applied one year and want to reapply the next year, what can I improve on? What, you know, would you mind telling me areas where I could that I could make better and so that's the second piece of advice I would say is meet with someone and have them go through that with you so you are more targeted in knowing what that school is looking for if you're um, really determined to get into that particular school or for any school that you want to apply to for that matter. Yeah I think really knowing what each program is looking for like what are their requirements 
and don't don't waste your money applying to programs where you're not meeting those minimum requirements. I mean, it's always seems silly to me when a student is rejected for a low GPA. Our GPAs, our minimum GPAs are published. And so you would know that before you applied. So I don't know why someone would have wasted their money doing that. Um, the, um, the other thing that I think sometimes people don't know or understand about universities if you have a, if you're at a university or even some of the community colleges will often have what's called a grade replacement policy. So I know here in Arizona, our community colleges, any grade a C or below, if you retake that class and you get a better grade, that grade replaces the first grade you had. Um, at our state universities here in Arizona, if you take the same course at a university, so the course number at a university, that grade of, uh, and here it's a D or an F, um, that grade disappears if you pass even with a C. So if you get a better grade, that grade is replaced. So that grade no longer counts in your overall GPA. It still shows up on your transcript, but the grade no longer counts. And that's really important if you, especially if you had a really rough freshman year, if there's a way to go back and erase those grades with grade replacement policies, to me, that's a no brainer um, because it's really hard to fix a failing grade as far as GPAs. If you have a failing grade and you're not replacing that grade, that, you know, you have to get, I don't know how many A's to replace, basically to counteract that failing grade. So if there's a way to replace it, um, do it. That's really the long, it's, it might even be worth the money to go back to a university to retake a course where you have a failing grade versus taking it at a community college where the cost is left. So you really need to balance what those costs are to get you into PT school takes a lot of classes to replace a failed grade. I can tell you from personal experience, <laughs> took an entire PTA program worth of A's to offset like 0.2 of me getting an F in college. And it was stupid. I got a freaking F in Calc 2. I don't know why I was in that class. <laughs> and you know what? We see that all the time like in a calculus course or in a um, organic chemistry or something like that. And so, you know, sometimes you look at that and you go, well, I don't want to have to take Cal 2 again, but, or sometimes you look at it and you think, you know what, I'm older and I'm wiser now, and I'm going to take it as the only course I take. And I'm going to figure out how to get through it and get a C that will replace that failing grade. I mean, I would probably still fail it, Brianna. So I don't know. I literally took it again and failed. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two apps on my transcript. So the only apps on my transcript and it's in Calc 2 twice. And one was taken my freshman year. And then I retook it again at the beginning of my sophomore year. So I actually mentioned it to some of the schools. I was like, hey, like I took this class. I had no business being in the class. I retook it again. Cause I was like, I really want to try again. I gave it my all. I studied like three or four hours a night. I still failed. I was like, I just don't get math. And they're like, it's okay. We see that you got an A in stats. That's all we care about. 
And, you know, I think sometimes too students, like especially an undergrad and students who don't have like first generation college students who maybe don't have someone to help them through, know what the withdrawal dates are. Like, when do you have to withdraw from a course to get a W? Yeah, nobody told me about that. Mark it on your calendar and make sure that when you, so I just think there's so many tricks to getting through the undergrad um, process that sometimes is really, if, if you can just know those, like someone can hold your hand and tell you those things. Yeah, I had no idea you could withdraw from the class. Through. I didn't know. Yeah. If I did, I would have just withdrawn. I know business being in Calc too. <laughs> but that, that was just me. But fortunately, yeah, we're not talking about me. But yes, know when your withdrawal dates are. Those are very important. But I just, I thought I'd yeah. share that because that was funny. You're like, oh, I'd probably fail again too. I was like, I did. <laughs> So, but it's okay. I got, I got A's in anatomy and physiology. That's what matters. <laughs> there we go. All right. And there I think some go. students like offer, I think some students will just send an application thinking you won't notice. And I'm like, how do you not notice? How do you think they won't notice? This is their job to notice. Those, those applications don't even make it to us to notice, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're, the, our admissions, the, the, it's an ant, it's, all set up in the system I don't even think a human sees it they just it comes through the system looks at the number and says nope out so you guys have a hard cutoff minimum requirement and it what GPA is that minimum requirement is it a 3.0 or are you guys at a 3.2 we're 2.8 2.8 okay Awesome. Now, it, please make sure that you go and look at our webpage to see what our averages are, because our averages are much higher than them. Oh, yeah. But anything below that two eights, the computer is saying bye. <laughs> exactly. And then do you guys do the GRE? We do. You do. And we, we have don't. A minimum. We do. Okay. And it's 140 on uh, uh, each of the sections and um, a 3.5 on the writing. Those those numbers are good to know. So then students know where their cutoff is, if they're writing it kind of close with one of those numbers and they know where they're at. And then also based off of that, they can go to your website and figure out what the average is for accepted students or what a competitive applicant looks like to make sure that they are kind of in the game for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Good advice. Yes. And so, all So my last question is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to any applicant during their pre-PT journey? I don't know if I can narrow it down to one You can give a list. I've had people be like, well, I'm going to, the, the one guy from Kansas is like, I got four. Here they are. So. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm prepared, but I, listening to a podcast like this would be great you know, because there's a lot of things you don't know that you don't even know or don't know that you don't know, you know, so that sort of thing. So whatever resources you have or, or could search for, that would be one thing that I would advise is whether it's financial or scholarships or mentors or a program like this, you know, so that you don't feel alone in this process and you have someone who's been there, done that can give you some advice. So, because what I find is, like I said before, a lot of these students, 
they are all excellent applicants. And I mean, if you've gotten to this point, you are a great student. And it really just comes down to, do you know how to, you know, fill these out? Do you have um, enough hours in this area? Could you put a little bit more time here? And so I feel like a lot of people could do this if, if they had the right resources and, and um, you know, a mentor to kind of guide them along the way. So I guess do a little bit of research um, before you dive right in. I 100% agree with that. And some of that research in my mind is looking what the expectation, looking at what the expectations are of the program. So again, don't apply if you don't meet the minimum GPA. You know, that's that's a waste of $70. Um, and I think I have two other things that I would say. Um, don't be afraid to contact programs and say, you know, can you give me any advice? Do you have anything that's maybe not listed on your website? Would you look at my stuff? Can I come for a tour? Whatever it is. If you don't get in the first time, definitely contact your dream schools and say, why didn't I get in? What was it about my application? How can I make it better? Um, and then the, my other piece of advice um, is always this. Have someone who knows you, loves you, and wants you to go to PT school. And they really need to meet all three of those criteria. Knows you, loves you, and wants you to go to PT school. And have them look at your application before you click the little submit button. Because they're the person who's going to say to you, didn't you do this? Or how come you didn't write about that? Or this doesn't sound right. And they're the person who's going to really help you, I think, to make your application tell your story so that when the program is reading it, the program knows who you are as much as we can from that piece of paper. But remember that piece of paper is all we have to start out with. And so make sure your story is told well. And someone who knows you, loves you, and wants you to go to PT school is going to help you to make sure that your story is told well. I agree with all that. And definitely, if you're applying to a school, talk to someone at that school in the admissions mm -hmm. department who can help you answer questions so then you're not making a $70 mistake. <laughs> or a bigger mistake than that, right? Yeah, that you only get into a school that's like $60,000 more yeah. when you could have gone somewhere else. Anyways, um, that is all the questions that I have for you two. I wanna thank you guys for joining me and chatting with me tonight. Do you have any additional questions? No, no thank you so much. <laughs> What's up, guys? It's Casey, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. Now, this episode was sponsored by the Acceptance Navigator series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey, as well as how to find clarity and direction as a Pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or your dreaded fear of rejection. So learn how to take the driver's seat, the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and to not leave your acceptance just up to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. Like this is the most value we've ever given away and it's free and it's free. So take full control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com, www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode was also brought to you by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. That's ptschoolprobe.com. 
Now, one of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year is when applying to PT school without even like having the right match for you as an applicant. So partnering up with our friends at PT School Probe has made this problem a thing of the past. PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to like just you plug in what you want, you click this, you click that, and boom, it spits out exactly what you're looking for in a school, whether it's cost, location, clinicals, this and that. You put it in, you do, 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 and that's it. That's it. It spits out exactly what you're looking for. No more stress, no more searching, no more anxiety. Put in what you want, and bam, the right matches for you and what you're looking for pop up just like that. So to get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school program, go to ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe, like P-R-O-B-E.com, ptschoolprobe.com, and use our code PREPTGRIND in all lowercase to get a discount and let them know that your good friends at PREPTGRIND sent you on over. Like this will save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars by making sure that you apply to the right schools. So again, ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe.com and use our code PREPTGRIND in all lowercase. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one.